You are listening to episode 14 of the STEM Space. Maybe you've noticed that some of your students are struggling to understand concepts. It turns out that there could be a biological reason. Today, we will talk about how and when you can introduce challenging topics to your students. Let's dive in. Welcome to the STEM Space, hosted by Vivify co-founders Claire and Natasha. Two aerospace engineers turned educators, sharing our passion for all things STEM. Check us out at vivifystem.com. Hey, Claire, how's it going? Hey, honestly, I'm exhausted. (laughs) Yeah, tell me about it. What happened today? Well, I started a whole bunch of new projects with all my classes today, and uh, it was just a lot of materials. You know how the building phase goes of a lot of the engineering design challenges where it's just kind of mass chaos. So I had that in every class today, and it was just a little bit much. Um, All good things, but we are doing straw rockets in a couple of my classes, balloon rockets in some of them. I have two classes that are doing catapults, and that's always a really challenging one because they've never had experience with actual catapults before. That's not something you see every day, so that's really hard to get them to design something without showing them an example and them dealing with a lot of frustration in the way that it works. So had to deal with a lot of that. Uh, They were successful eventually. And then with first grade, we read Boxatex and they had to design and build little house prototypes. And that was intense because a lot of the kids didn't understand how to make something stand up, like to make a structure stand up. Mm. So we kind of, I realized that I needed to kind of back up and have a little structures lesson first. So it was a little intense. There's just materials everywhere. My classroom is a disaster. So I feel bad for the people that are cleaning it up tonight (laughs) because there's stuff all over the floor. And then my kindergartners did air cannons, which is really fun. So we talked about matter and how air can actually exert a force on things which is always surprising for them so it was really good all good things but it's just really intense all day so everything you just described happened in one day that was one day yes oh my gosh you're crazy (laughs) how do you manage all these different activities in one day yes so I teach Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays is STEM and so they have to cram everything into those days because there's so many different enrichment activities. They have music and reading, they have library time and so STEM just has to fit in there. So I get each class 45 minutes, two days a week and I see all the classes. So one after another. That's That's what's hard is I'll get a new set of kids in. I'm like, okay, switch gears, catapults to what are you guys doing in here? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's well, good. as long as my projector works, then it's, then it's fine. Oh, I remember those days whenever you have <laughs> the best video to play and then everything breaks down. Yes. That was my last week. My projector died and I was like, no, how am I going to explain this awesome diagram I had? It's like, I cannot draw an airplane. I know I should be able to, but they're like, <laughs> what is that? I was like, no, it's an airplane. These are the wings. And okay, never mind. I, I had a really cool picture. <laughs> See, look at my phone, guys. Look at my phone. Yeah. Well, two comments from that. One, catapults. If you remember a couple years ago, I stopped doing catapults with elementary because we were so frustrated and you were Mm -hmm. like, I don't understand. They should get it. Well, 
maybe now you get some of my <laughs> frustration. Yes. Now I'm definitely going to be looking through our catapult product and probably adding some more notes. I've done it a lot, but diff with different age groups. And so every time you do it, you learn new things, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it, it ended up going really well. It's just hard at the beginning to find where they are. It's that whole thing where there's this concept that they don't understand and figuring out how to relay that information to them without giving them exact instructions on this is how you do it, right? Yep. So they don't exactly replicate the picture. Yes. That's so hard. I even tried showing them like a clip art of a catapult thinking, okay, just the idea. But then they try to copy that exact clip art picture. I'm like, no, this won't yep. even work. It's just a <laughs> sketch. <laughs> well, that and you mentioned something about, was it first grade building the houses? Yes. And they couldn't figure out how it stands. That's, so right. that's a perfect segue into what we're talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So tell me what you've learned this week in grad school. Yeah. So last week we did behavioral learning theory, right? Mm -hmm. So if we want to teach students a skill, how do you measure something, for example, or how do you use a microscope? We needed this behavioral learning theory. So we would model it, they would practice, we would get feedback. But if you want to teach them something more complicated like photosynthesis or what an atom is, these bigger concepts, you need something else. So the behaviorist, they just care about actions, kids doing something, and they don't really care about what's in their brain. Well, as teachers, we care about what's in their brain. That's a lot mm -hmm. of what we teach is changing the things, uh, different concepts. And often they have different incorrect concepts that they hold on to, which will be a later learning theory. So for this one, you mentioned these students weren't able to understand how to get something to stand up. And these are first graders. Yes. So there is this uh, learning theory and it looks at how we develop over time. So when we're babies, we have certain concepts that we understand. So I have a newborn and she is going through lots of changes every week. And one of those is called object permanence. So something in front of her exists and nothing else exists. As soon as that object goes away, it's gone forever. So whenever I leave, she just thinks I'm disappeared and gone, right? Which is kind of mm -hmm. scary. <laughs> and that's how peekaboo right, works right yeah exactly <laughs> and you'll notice whenever you cover something up they think it's gone and then around 18 months they start realizing oh no it's just under the tablecloth or you just hit it and so they start getting this next level of understanding and then whenever you get to age six to eight so around second grade you get this next uh, phase which is called concrete thought and this is when they can start doing spatial relationships, which might tie into mm. your house idea. So they are quite ready to visualize a 3D structure and how to keep it upright. So I'm wondering maybe if this plays into when we're doing engineering design challenges and we're having kids do towers, if kindergarten, first grade might struggle with these because it's, they're just not quite there biologically to understand how this structure works. That makes sense. And so I just was making that connection as you were talking. I was like, hey, this kind of ties into engineering design. Uh, another note that she mentioned was in second grade. Tell me if you think you've seen this. Second graders suddenly develop a strong sense of what is fair and tattling explodes. They also suddenly want to know everything because the world just opens up. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Second grade is intense. <laughs> they want to know everything. I mean, from the, when they walk in the door, it's like, what are we going to do today? How are we going to do that? 
well, how come they get to do that? Can I do it first? And it's just like this <laughs> incessant need to be on like the front edge of whatever you're going to be doing. So yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah. So these phases that I'm talking about are from Piaget. So this famous uh, theorist, and he observed tons of kids and was looking at these similar patterns of how kids develop thinking and found all these similarities. So it's around that second grade age where you go into that what they call concrete thought. And then the last phase that he went through, so this guy was just focused on the childhood years, took another whole week to learn about adult thinking. That's for another date. <laughs> um, but the next phase was formal operational thought. And this is around middle school. So this is seventh and eighth grade. And they can start doing more abstract thinking. And this includes like making a hypothesis or be able to look at things from different perspectives. Whenever you start talking about density and atoms, that's when they can start really understanding what that means. And you might be thinking, hey, don't we teach a lot of these things in like late elementary, early yes. middle school? Well, according to this learning theory, it's just too early. Like kids will just memorize it and write it down in a test and have no idea what they just learned because they're just not mm -hmm. biologically ready to understand that concept. Now, do you talk any at all about the Bloom's taxonomy? There's this pyramid that talks about how kids learn, mm -hmm. and it basically says that when kids are younger, their ability to memorize things is at its finest. And so you should be focusing on just giving them information that they will understand later, but they can build upon now. So you just start giving them all sorts of information. Does that sound familiar? No, we haven't talked about this. And so I'm just looking at it right now. I am curious to dig more into this and get back to you. Yes. So, okay, I have it pulled up now. So there's this a pyramid so I don't know if you're looking at this right now. And it starts off, I don't know what age, but they are supposed to be able to recall facts. So you're just giving them information. They're like a sponge. So they just absorb all this information. Then as they get older, they're able to actually understand what it means. They already have that vocabulary in there. They've been introduced to those concepts, but now they're able to actually kind of regurgitate it or report it or see how it relates to other concepts. And then they're able to apply the information so they can use that information that they've now remembered. Now they understand it. Now they can use it in different situations. And then after that, they're able to analyze it and con make connections and be able to organize it differently uh, in different projects. After that, they can evaluate it and be actually able to defend it or to argue against different, different subjects. And then finally at the top is to create, and that's when they're able to use all this knowledge that they've gained and understood and analyzed to be able to produce something new, which I think is what we try to force in STEM all the time without having all the basics of understanding. So I mm -hmm. see how that might be, maybe does tie into what you're talking about with the developmental, being able to yeah. understand what is appropriate to teach them and then also what's appropriate to expect for them to be able to produce, right? Yeah. So what you just said almost exactly replicates the learning cycle, which is based in developmental learning theory. So the learning okay. cycle has three phases. There's exploration. So engaging in some concrete experience, concept development, so making sense of that concept and then application, applying it to something else, which is kind of exactly what you talked about. The learning cycle has been turned into the 5E model, um, which a lot of schools use. It's the exact same thing. So 5E just takes 
two of the three and expands on them. So when we talk about 5e, we have engage, explore, explain, elaborate, and evaluate, right? Yeah. So engage, I often show a video, something dramatic, if we're doing space theme, like a NASA rocket launch, explore. This is where you want the kids to do something. This is usually a hands-on activity that gives them some experience with whatever you're teaching them. Then you have the explain phase. And a lot of teachers confuse this one in that the students are just talking, but this is actually depends on the teacher. So the teacher should be asking a bunch of questions to really get out what the students are understanding. So for example, let's say we're learning about moon phases. During the explore phase, maybe the kids went outside for a month and looked up and looked at the moon and looked at how the moon changed. And maybe they drew pictures, made observations. So for explain, the students are trying to make sense of this data. And the teacher has to be involved here. It's not just the kids throwing out some ideas. The, student, the teacher is asking questions and what do you see? What do you notice? What's the pattern? And then once they get a sense of that concept of moon phases, we go to elaborate. So let's apply it to maybe an eclipse. And what does that have to do with phases of the moon? And then the last part is evaluate. So my professor here, when we get to evaluate, would argue that this should never happen just at the end. We should always be evaluating our students throughout the whole learning process to see what are they thinking, maybe where are they going off track, and we can get them back into the, the right track. Is, is that a passive thing that you're doing or is that where you're asking for feedback from the students? It can be both. So if you're doing small group discussions, maybe walking around and just listening to what kids are saying or having them write down observations and looking at what those observations are or doing a whole group discussion and just seeing kind of getting a snapshot of what the majority of students are thinking. Okay. So that's, I kind of did something like that today with my first graders that were building a house. I could see that some were really struggling with the concept of getting their house to stand up or how you connect walls together. And I had one group that was just on the ball. They knew exactly what to do. They had their stand up kind of like a teepee and that's how they had their 3D model of their house. So I had everybody stop and I wanted to see if they had an idea of how to make their house work or if they really were just completely lost. So I had the kids do a gallery walk. So I had them all stand up, hands up, and made them walk around all the tables and look at all the other designs. And I said, your job right now as an engineer is to look at the other designs and pick out things that they are doing well and what is working. And then go back to yours and let me know what things you saw and how you can make it improve your design. And almost all of them were like, oh, they connected theirs uh, with two craft sticks to make it stand up. It's like, yeah, there. So you're understanding the concept and see where you need to go. So is that a way that you could be evaluating and you can see where students are maybe not even grasping what the concepts are? Yeah, exactly. And the point here is our students are at very different places developmentally. So even if you have the same age of students, that doesn't mean based on their environment, their upbringing, the school that they've had, they could be in a different place than other students. Mm -hmm. And that's why when we walk into a classroom, we shouldn't expect that every lesson is going to have the exact same outcome. And you had mentioned doing, you know, one of these projects, I think you said it was catapults that you had a good experience with before. And then with these students, they just weren't prepared for that type of activity. So you kind of have to readjust. And that's the point. We should always be evaluating and readjusting based on our students thinking. Awesome. So the takeaways from this learning theory, Biology is involved, so 
some concepts are just not appropriate for younger students. When we're trying to teach something abstract like atoms, you can't even see an atom. How do you expect a second grader to understand <laughs> what an atom is? Even the tools that we use need to be something that doesn't get in the way of learning. So one example is using a telescope. So a first grader might look at through a telescope and think that object is right there in front of them and not understand that this is an object millions and millions of miles away. That's an example. And then there's the environment. So we can create a learning environment that pushes our students to develop more abstract thinking and to understand these concepts. And that's that 5E or the learning cycle model or the Bloom's taxonomy pyramid that you mentioned. These are strategies that we can use that really help our students get a deep understanding of the concepts. Hmm. But it's a lot of work. It's not an easy task. Teaching is definitely not easy. And that's something I'm getting out of this class. How people learn is very complicated. And there's many different ways to look at it because the next learning theory we'll talk about next time is cognitive learning theory, which is, okay, you did everything right. You did this 5E or learning cycle model and the kid still doesn't get it. Why don't they still get it? That's what we'll talk about. Oh, exciting. I need to know. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you enjoy some chocolate tonight to recover from your crazy day and I'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks. Bye, Natasha. Bye.